Yesterday, I had a really unique experience. That experience started when one of my grandchildren, we were up in Vancouver, Washington, this last Monday through Friday. Actually, Saturday, we flew home yesterday. Am I coming in and out, Michael, again? I feel like I'm coming in and out. All right. Um, I'm not sure if we want to come up with an alternative mic or if I use this, if I stand in the right place. Um, One of my grandchildren up in Vancouver, we have three. Oldest is nine, youngest is five. One of them says, Opa, that's what they call me, Opa. Opa, it's snowing outside. And it's like, I've heard of snow. What is that? (laughs) And so I look outside, open the door, and sure enough, there are these little flakes coming down. And they weren't, you know, it was like almost snow where they would land and then immediately turn to a water drop. But it was just kind of cool. Well, it was actually quite cold, but it was (laughs) cool to see these little snowflakes. Wonderful time. But I want to tell you about a couple conversations with my five-year-old grandson. His name is Leif. Jan and I took special effort to go and have a date with each of our three grandkids. We took them out to breakfast in the morning and just let them talk about all the stuff that's important to them and the changes in their life that they've had some major ones with having foster kids and now not having and a lot of things going on. So we're talking to little Leaf. And so I decide, Leaf tells me his favorite, one of his favorite subjects is math, five years old, homeschool. And I'm thinking, okay, math, let me try little Leaf here. So I said, okay, Leaf, here we are. If they bring, there's three of us here at the table. If they bring three forks for us here at Denny's, if they bring three forks, how many will each of us get? He thinks and he says, one each. And I said, real good. Now, if they bring six forks, how many will each one of us get? He thinks and he says, one each. And I, I said, what about the others? He said, we don't need the other three. We can send them back to the kitchen. <laughs> so here's my little grandson, the thinker, right? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, of course he's right. What am I going to do with two forks? Well, another conversation at dinner table, and he announces, we had, talked, we, we had been talking about different places and Canada came into the discussion. Are any of you from Canada? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> anyway, Canada came into the discussion. And so he says, announces to the whole family at the table, what's the capital of Canada? And we're thinking, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know. Is it Vancouver? Is it, I, I have no clue. Do any of you know what the capital of Canada is? Well, we would have never guessed that. (laughs) And so when the family is sitting there, well, we don't know. What is the capital of Canada? And he said, C. It starts with the capital C. (laughs) I thought, this kid, unlike any of my other grandkids, has the potential to become a stand-up comic. I... (laughs) But but what it made me think of, 
is sometimes in the Christian walk, the Lord's trying to communicate something, and we're on a completely different wavelength than God is. And so, you know, we're talking to Leaf, and he's thinking one way, we're thinking a completely other way, and both are right, but sometimes as disciples of the Lord, we have difficulty understanding what it is that Jesus really wants to communicate with us. Would you say that's true at times? And this section that we're going to read today out of Mark chapter 14 is precisely one of those sections where the disciples, I mean, this is the arrest of Jesus. It's the latter part of Mark 14. Jesus is arrested. He's taken into custody and the disciples all fail. Jesus said, hey, on account of me, Here's what the scripture says, that the shepherd will be smitten and the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what happens in our reading today. But Jesus has told them over and over what's going to happen, and they just haven't gotten it. Now, we left our study back before we did a Christmas, New Year's, and then last week a special message. And those special messages kind of all connected especially the New Year's messages, the three that we've had, connected with the concept of God doing something new. And in each case, I've tried to highlight something, at least the two that I shared, tried to highlight something that sometimes God's newness creates a very intense discomfort on our part. When Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, absolute cognitive dissonance, dissonance, discomfort, he finally does it, and there's a ripple effect that the generation of Jews beyond him are blessed, but he didn't understand. The disciples are in one of those, you're going to do something new, Lord. You've told us you're going to do something new, but we don't understand. How can this be? What am I talking about? Well, in chapter 14, we have read about the Last Supper. The Last Supper was observed with Jesus and his disciples. And then it just simply says, then they go out, they leave where they have had the Last Supper, they go out to the Mount of Olives. And while they're at the Mount of Olives, Wyatt, I'm not even sure if I gave you this verse to project, but it's verse 27, don't worry about it if you don't have it. But while they go out to the Mount of Olives, a stone's throw away from where they've been meeting, Jesus says to them in verse 27, you... I mean, he's just had communion. He's just instituted communion with these people. This whole new thing of this, this bread is my body. This, this wine is the blood. My body and my blood are going to be given for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 27, he gets them to the Mount of Olives and he says, you will all fall away. Now, that had to be a very discouraging revelation to the disciples all of us fall away. Now, Mark doesn't talk about the grand discourse that Jesus gives at the Mount of Olives at this time. Neither does Matthew or Luke. But the Apostle John in his book, John, he talks about and actually gives the dialogue of the longest discourse that he records of Jesus. And it's in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Actually, 17 is Jesus' prayer. But John 14, 15, and 16 
our dialogue that he has at this moment. And he's told the disciples, something new is coming, guys. Something new. And now he tells them, and actually, when this new thing happens, here's what's going to happen. You're all going to fall away. All of you. Well, what did he tell them? What did he preface this with? And I just want to highlight some of the things from John chapter 14, 15, and 16, where he talks to them about what's coming. Some of you know this verse. It's a very popular verse to memorize. John chapter 14. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, you know this verse, right? In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But now, I go. I I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. But you know what they keyed in on? I go. He's going to go. What do you mean you're going to leave? What do you mean you're going to leave? And then he says, let not your heart be troubled. Well, their heart was totally troubled. What do you mean you're going to leave? In chapter, or same chapter, John 14, later on in the chapter, he says, but I am going to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And then he began to explain to them, I'll ask the Father and he will send you another comforter. And it's a really cool study in the Greek language. Another comforter. Another means another one just like me. Not a different kind. Another just like me. And that is the spirit of truth. And he will be, he, you know him because he's been with you. And guys, he's going to be in you. But see, they were still caught on. What do you mean you're going to go? We don't get that. And then chapter 15, he gives this new thing is I'm going to go away but even when I go away I want you to abide in me and and you go wait 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 you're going to go away but you want me to be with you I don't get it because abide means be with continually and not move apart from and you say you're like a branch and we're like you're the vine we're the branches and the branch can't bear fruit except that abide in the vine well how does that work when you're going to go away and then he tells them in chapter 16, he says, you're sad because I told you I'm going to leave. Well, wouldn't you be? You've been with Jesus for three years. When there's no food, <laughs> he was a good guy to have around. You knew if there was healing that was going to glorify the father and he was going to do it, you knew it was going to happen. You knew that if the religious leaders got on your case, Jesus was right there to take the brunt of it and actually to run interference for you. And you're just following him. He's the one that's creating the problems with the religious leaders. But he was with you. He was with you. And then he says in the middle or the first part of John 16, he says, I'm going to tell you something. The old King James says, verily, verily, I say unto you, the New American Standard says, I'm going to tell you the truth. This is something that I want you to hear. I'm going to go away. Now, he said that over and over. Then he says this, but it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, you have, uh, you have lost it, Jesus. No, 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 no. This is not to my advantage. You go away. I want you here. I want you. He says, no, something new is going to happen. 
and I'm not going to be right here with you. But when the Spirit of truth, whom I will ask the Father, He will send, He will abide in you. When He comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will take of mine, He'll disclose it to you. So even though I'm not here in physical form, my Spirit is going to be in you and He will, he will guide you. But the disciples said, we don't get it. Don't go away. In chapter 14, as we get back, we find the arrest of Jesus when He goes away. I want you to see as we look through this, and we're going to just kind of skim our way through a good portion of chapter 14. I want you to see that Jesus does exactly what He told them He's going to do. I'm going to go away. Now, His going away... Understand this really clearly. His going away to be arrested to go to the cross was not a mistake in history. It was the plan of the almighty sovereign God since before the foundation of the world. That he would come. He he came to give his life as a ransom for yours and my sin. That was why he came to the earth. Well, well, didn't he come to be an example to us? Well, of course. But that's secondary, guys. He came first and foremost to be your Savior because there was no other way to get your sin wiped away unless he took it upon himself. That's why he came. So don't understand this with a religious kind of screwball perspective that, oh, this this is a really sad chapter. They arrest him. The next chapter, they're going to crucify him. And it's like, oh, poor Jesus. No, victorious Jesus. That's what he came to do. You want, to, you want to feel sorry for somebody? <laughs> I got 11 guys you can feel sorry for. The disciples. And in our reading today, it's going to highlight two of them. All of them fell away. All of them abandoned when Jesus got arrested. But two of them specifically had notable fallings away. One was Peter and the other was a young man. Now, that young man... You know, it's really interesting to me. In all four Gospels, they talk about the disciples falling away. But only one of them names who the guy who denied Jesus three times was. Was it Matthew? No. Was it Mark? Which really, Mark, historically, was the Gospel of Peter that was given to Mark. Mark was the writer of it as Peter dictated and told the stories to him. Mark wrote the gospel. That's why it bears his name. But it's really the story of Peter. Did Peter identify, that, he, or Peter and Mark in, in writing the gospel, did they identify that it was Peter that denied Jesus three times? <laughs> Not on your life. Somebody did. That's what they say. One of the disciples, uh, uh, who was it? Was it Luke? No. Was it John? <laughs> yeah. Peter and John. They had such a friendly rivalry throughout the entire career of Jesus. Do you remember even in the book of John, it tells that they raced to the tomb and the other one beat Peter? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that just it makes me smile as I read this stuff. It's so human. You know, it's so down to earth. And it's like I can see Mark. And Mark is probably, church history says, first century history, Christian history says, Mark is the other disciple that it refers to, the one who, the, the, 
the guards grabbed his cloak. When they came to take Jesus, they grabbed his cloak and he ran off. It says he ran off naked, a young man. Now, it probably means that he was in just his, his uh, internal loincloth, kind of in his underwear. But it may be he ran off naked. And it's like, I can see when Peter and Mark are putting this gospel together and they get to this part of the story, uh, should we include that part about you, Peter, denying Jesus? Well, yeah, but let's not name me, but only if we include that part about you running away naked, you know? (laughs) So, but the failure, I want you to think of these two guys that helped change the world in the years to come, that helped bring the gospel to new people in new places. In this chapter, they fail. They fail. And we think of Psalm 30, I think it's Psalm 37, where it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. But though he fall, he will not be somebody help me. He will not be. Come on, don't you guys know this Psalm? Though he fall, he will not be cast out. And it's like Peter, man, he blew it in this chapter. Mark or whoever the young streaker was, (laughs) you know, he blew it in this chapter. But guess what? They're restored to Jesus at a later time. And God uses them greatly. Okay, chapter 14. I've had a long intro. Start at verse 32. This is after they had had communion together. Communion instituted new meanings. Here it comes, that new thing about I'm going away. Here it comes. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, actually, they had gone to Mount of Olives, according to the other Gospels. Jesus had given them this long discourse in the book of John. And then the, the Garden of Gethsemane was a garden on the lower at the foot of the Mount of Olives. So they go to Olives, where they, a lot of times where they would hang out. And then they came to Gethsemane. It's interesting to me that the word Gethsemane means the pressing place. Kind of a, for uh, grapes production of wine, the pressing, high pressure put on something because we're going to see Jesus that is pressed so much that one of the other Gospels says, Luke says that even his, his sweat, his intensity and his stress, that his sweat became as drops of blood. You remember that. And medically, they say that when a person's under absolute intensity, just a, a fervent intensity and stress that their capillaries can burst and from their sweat pores out comes kind of a, a blood-sweat mixture. And that's what was happening. While he was in Gethsemane, he was being pressed. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. We are going to find out that he's going to say in one of the other Gospels when he comes back and they, they're asleep, He's going to say, couldn't you have hung with me for an hour? So it may be that he's gone away and prayed for a whole hour. What we we know for certain is we're just hours away from the arrest and the, the kangaroo trials that he's going to go through and the crucifixion that's going to be the next morning at nine o'clock. So we're just we're we're in this and it's just hours. Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John. So he brought them closer 
but they weren't right with him, but they were close enough to hear what he was praying. He began to be very distressed and troubled. And troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. But what were they supposed to keep watch over? Probably Jesus knew his betrayer would be around the corner any moment. Keep watch. Let me know if they're coming. But my soul deeply grieved. And I got to ask you the question, why do you think Jesus was so grieved? Was it because he was physically impending physical death? That was perhaps part of it, but I think there was a greater grief. And that is that he who knew no sin, who had never experienced sin, that was the perfect man, was about ready to somehow get credited to his body. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2 says, when he went on the cross, that our sin was placed on his body on the cross. He was about ready to take your sin and mine. He was about ready to take the sin of all mankind. Now, does that mean mankind gets universally saved? No. But he paid so that mankind could. But mankind has to repent and invite him to be their Lord. Each individual. It's an individual decision. But the death of Jesus is sufficient for the salvation of all mankind if they will receive it. Beautiful picture. But it's, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here. Keep watch. He went a little beyond them. And he fell to the ground. He fell to the ground. Collapsed. Began to pray that if it were possible. And here's where they don't list the John 17, what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That's most of the chapter of John 17. What they focus in on was the thing that was tearing him up inside. And he was saying, or he began to pray, sorry, verse 35, middle of the verse, began to pray that if it were possible, that this hour might pass him by. I like the way that one of the other Gospels reports it, that, that, uh, that if possible, that this cup, that I don't drink this cup. What cup? Taking our sin. If there's any other way possible for salvation to come to mankind who has sinned and lost before, it is completely lost before you, Father, then make it so. Uh, let's do the other thing. But not what I want, what you want. Do you realize that if there was another way for us to be saved, other than the death of Jesus Christ, taking our sins upon himself, that God would have easily granted his request. But the fact is, there was no other way. There is no other way. I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Well, wait a minute, I could be good enough to get into heaven. Really? Let me ask your wife or your friend or your brother. Is this guy perfect? Is this gal perfect? Because the scripture says that if we even offend in one little area of God's law and we mess up, then it's so we committed it all. We're, we're guilty of all. See, with God, it's either 100% you're good, you could make it, or anything less than 100% and absolute perfect before him, you're guilty and you'll be apart from him for all eternity. That's what the Bible says. And that's why Jesus had to come to remove that reason for condemnation off of you, your sin, and trade, his, trade your sin 
for his righteousness. He takes your sin upon himself. You take his righteousness, his his holiness upon yourself. That way, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a pretty good guy, pretty good gal, pretty bad guy, pretty bad. He doesn't see that. What he sees is somebody who's been covered by the perfection and the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? So then we can, it doesn't matter. Once we come to Jesus, we can go out and sin all we want because we're covered, right? No. And in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul actually addresses that whole mis-theological application. He says, shall we continue in sin that God's grace can just abound? We want to glorify God's grace. So let's sin some more so his grace can be poured out some more. And he says, may it never be. My Latin version says, no way, Jose. (laughs) May it never be. No, those of us who realize that our sin has been removed, That doesn't give us license to go sin some more. What it should do, if we have truly encountered his forgiveness, is it gives us a desire to glorify him all the more because he saved us. You know, it's like if you jump in a pond and you can't swim and somebody rescues you, you don't just go, oh, great, thanks. Now, I'm going to go jump in the pond again. Well, you better learn to swim first. But no, it's that act of, let's have him forgive me for the sins that he already forgave me for. No, we should stop sinning. Now, how many of you are perfect? You've stopped sinning. Let me raise your, raise your hand with me. Nobody? Because if anybody raised their hand and said, I have stopped sinning altogether, then you would have just sinned by lying about that, okay? <laughs> the fact of the matter is that if we say we don't sin, that we're lying and the truth isn't in us. We have difficulties. We, have, we live in a world that's a stained, corrupted world, and sometimes we get mud on our feet, so to speak. Well, okay, so let's go back to the text, verse 36. And he was saying, this is again Peter through Mark recording part of the prayer of Jesus, Abba, which means Daddy. It's such a term of endearment. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. If there is any other possible way for mankind to receive salvation, can we do that? But if not, I'm here. You know, some of you have seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's one of those, it's a highly violent film but it's a highly historically accurate film of the violence that Jesus Christ suffered for us. And I don't agree with everything in the film. You can see the, the religious, kind of the, the Catholic um, perspective on a few things. But there is one point where just before Jesus receives the scourging and is taken out to the place of the skull and crucified, that you hear him saying, My soul is ready. And it's like, it's that moment of, that would come after this prayer. If there's any way possible. Now, there's one of the other gospels says that it was the Luke, Luke chapter 22 says, while he was praying out there, that an angel appeared to him and encouraged him and strengthened him. And probably that angel was saying, you know, this is the only way. You know. And this is why you can't. Anyway, verse 37, and he came and he found them sleeping. Those good disciples, you could always count on them. 
He said to Peter, now this is really interesting because he's been calling him Peter, which means rock, which means stability. And he calls him Simon. It's like, you've regressed, bro. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you're not being so much of a Peter right now. You're kind of back being a Simon. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying. You pray yourself that you may not come into temptation. Well, I'll tell you what. Jesus knew that Peter was going to be under a great temptation. As a matter of fact, he, had, he, he tells him, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, not that you're not going to be sifted and tempted, but that your faith may not fail. Peter, or Simon, come on, Simon. Verse 39, again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words, and again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. Now, I can understand falling asleep in one of my sermons. I could understand falling asleep when you're, you know, listening to somebody else that's, that, you know, you, that you enjoy listening to. But I just can't get falling asleep when Jesus Christ is right there praying. I just don't get it. Well, and then what did Peter, in having Mark write this, he kind of gives this little caveat, for their eyes were very heavy. You know, they were really tired. So, okay, Pete. All right, that's good. And they did not know. So when Jesus asked them, hey, why are you guys sleeping again? And they didn't know what to answer him. Do you ever come to a point where you feel like you've kind of messed up before the Lord? And it's like if the Lord asks you, what are you doing? And you don't even know what to say. That's Peter in this moment. And then he came a third time. Happens again. Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. It's interesting. I think it's the book of John where John says that darkness has been granted its hour. Let's meet it. Then we go on. Verse 43. The betrayal. He says, the one who betrays me, he's at hand, he's coming. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs. And the book of John also says a Roman cohort, which is a large group of soldiers, is also with them. So there's a lot of people. And they all have swords, clubs, who are from the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, now, he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whoever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And after coming, Jesus, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. Now, in John, it says that Jesus looked to Judas and he called him friend. What you're doing, friend, just do it. Do it quick. But that Jesus still a heart of compassion. They laid hands on him. They seized him. <laughs> but one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. The word for sword is a small sword. It's, 
it's maybe anywhere from about 12 to maybe 24 inches long. It's kind of a dagger, sort of the thing that you would kill somebody with. And that's what the word for sword is. Matthew says, one of the 12 drew his sword. Mark says, one of, the, one of them who stood by drew his sword. Luke says, one of them drew his sword. John says, it was Peter. <laughs> now, I've got to ask you a question. Do you think Peter was a really, really good aim and he was going for the, high pri- the slave of the high priest's ear? Or did he miss because he was probably going for his head? I take the latter, but it doesn't tell us. I don't think he was, let me just cut the ear. Jesus said to them, let's see, are we verse 48? Uh, yeah. Well, and actually, John tells us in his gospel that Jesus said, time out. That's my phrase, not his. Time out, and he heals the guy's ear. And he said, this is enough. Verse 48, Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures. And they all left him. Now, i got to think Peter is having the worst day imaginable. Peter. Actually, we we didn't even look at it, but before the guards come, in the preface to the verses we read today, (laughs) Jesus tells his disciples, as it is written in the scripture, the sheep or the the shepherd will be will be um, smitten and the sheep will all scatter. And Peter said, not me. Uh Uh-uh, not me. And Jesus said, all will scatter. And then Peter said, even if all of them leave, I will be with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be with you until the death. I'm with you, Jesus. In verse 50, and they all left him. Peter declares his allegiance to Jesus, and yet he abandons Peter tries to be Mr. Helper and pull his sword and, and, and rescue Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him. This is the worst day for Peter. Verse 51, and a young man was following him. He was part of the, the disciples, the group there, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him. So they're taking Jesus. And then here's this young guy, probably Mark. That's what history tells us. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. I just think that is the funniest verse in this chapter. Then they led Jesus away to the high priest. We're going to get into Jesus before his accusers next week when we go through the trials. But I want you to notice, let's go down to actually verse uh, they led Jesus uh, 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. They gathered together. So Jesus is before basically the Sanhedrin and all the leaders in the Jewish religion, the, the heavyweights. Peter followed him at a distance. Peter followed him at a distance. Three of the gospels bring that out. It was at 
a distance. You want to you know how to have an almost faithful discipleship walk? Follow at a distance. You'll, get, you'll, you'll be kind of there, but you won't really be devoted to Jesus, nor will you have that sense of power in your life. You want to follow Jesus you want to be powerful, even when he does new things, even when he says, it's to your advantage that I do this thing very different. Well, you want to be powerful in your life? Be real close to Jesus. Abide in Jesus, close to him. But here he was at a distance. Now we're going to go down, verse uh, 54. Peter followed him at a distance right to the courtyard of the high priest. He was sitting with the officers, officers, warming himself at the fire, so it was cold. Now you jump down to verse 60, 61. No, 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 66. So here's Peter with them at a distance, but he's kind of warming himself as a fire. As you can see over this large courtyard in the temple precincts, you can see what's happening with Jesus. As Peter was below in the courtyard, verse 66, one of the servant girls, very imposing figure, no, no doubt, came. And seeking and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are also with Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus had told Peter, before this event happened, you know, you are Mr. Peter, the declare that you're going to be with me into the death. I tell you, Peter, the truth, that before the cock crows, you are going to deny me three times. May it never be. Well, here's number one. But he denied it, verse 68, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And then he went off into the the porch, a different area. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean too. The book of John says, your accent, your Galilean accent gives you away. You're one of his disciples from Galilee. But he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me thrice, three times. And he began to weep. John also adds the detail that as the rooster crowed, Jesus, with the council, turns and looks at Peter. Peter and Jesus look, their eyes meet. And all of a sudden, it says Peter is overcome with grief. He starts weeping bitterly and he leaves. Bad day for Peter. Now, I got good news because... That's as far as we're going in the, in the text. But here's the great news, is that Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that Mark or whoever it was, was going to run away and flee. He knew that all the disciples, they were going to be so confused that they were all going to flee. And yet he still loved them. He still restored each and every one of them and he used them greatly for the advancement of his gospel. Isn't that cool? Now, you may have not denied Jesus before the imposing figure of a little servant girl of the priest. But let me ask the question, have any of you ever 
done something, said something, gotten involved with something that you knew Jesus wasn't blessed by and he wasn't smiling at and you felt like you blew it and you got slimed. Can I ask you to be honest enough and say, yeah, I can understand that. And here's the deal. That should have separated you from him forever because he demands perfection. But the better deal is that you still have, if you've come to Jesus Christ and received Him as your Lord and Savior, you still have a score of perfection because it's not based on you, it's based on Him. And it's a gift given to you. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. You get His perfect score of life. When I stand before the Lord, if Satan, you know, if Satan were to be my, what would you call it? The, uh, not the advocate, not my defense attorney, but the other guy, the prosecutor. You know, if Satan were going to be the prosecutor when I stood before the Lord, then I'm sure he could bring out some things that would be embarrassing things to me that would be make me guilty where justice says, Mick, you don't deserve heaven. Depart into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But I was a pretty good guy, but you weren't perfect. But then my defense attorney, Jesus, that's what the word advocate means. He joins the courtroom and says, you're right. Mix a slime ball. Not as much as those other elders and deacons he served with, but he is a slime. Mix a sinner. Mix a sinner and he doesn't deserve our heaven. But I took his sin away and gave him my score of perfect in life. So he now can hear, welcome into the joy of my kingdom. Guys, that's what Jesus did for us. Even if you have fallen, you are not outside the realm and the reach of God's love and restoration. If you leave here thinking, man, I've blown it. I've gotten upset with the Lord. I mean, come on, these disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. No, it isn't. Here, we're, 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 we're just an hour into this, and look how we're screwing it up. We need you. And there are times, guys, when we feel that defeat. But Jesus is our victory. And we come to him, we receive the forgiveness, we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We stand up again, and we keep walking forward. That's what I want to do. How about you? Let's pray. Lord, oh, we thank you for this story of your incredible grace in the, in the midst of man's failure, of even your disciples, your chosen one's failures. Lord, thank you for your grace, for your healing, for your restoration. And Lord, I pray for these people here that are, that are listening to your word, that have, that have hung with me through this chapter. Lord, I pray that if any of them are just feeling that they know they've been walking out of your perfect plan for them. And Lord, maybe they've been harboring attitudes. Maybe they've been harboring behaviors. Maybe they have been outright sinning. Lord, but whatever it is, you're calling them. You're knocking on their heart. You're reaching out to them. Lord, I ask that they would hear your voice. They would sense your pull. Lord, and that they would be drawn to say yes, yes again to you. So right now, guys, keep your head bowed.